Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, Brian Robinson. Hello, welcome to podcast uh, number 186. I am Brian Robinson, not John Davis. Uh, he's off uh, who knows where this week doing who knows what, but uh, he's left this to us this week, so hopefully we can get through it without uh, disappointing our regular listeners too much. Uh, helping me get through it is Greg Carlos, our online content coordinator. That's me with all this space finally over here. You're well coordinated. It's finally spread out. Our writer researcher, Garrick Zykin. Thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to have you, Garrick. <laughs> Thank you. And, of course, our podcast producer and editor, Joe Ligo. The pleasure is all mine. And who does a great job. Oh, now you're just trying to butter me up. <laughs> uh, looks like we'll be doing our typical run-through of a few road tests that we've had lately, lightning round, and, of course, the viewer question. And if we have time, a rant and or rave. So let's get right into some recent road tests. 2018 Mazda 6 midsize sedan. Ooh, yeah. Who wants to uh, talk about that one? I'll start that one off. That, uh, this is a car that actually transitioned into our long-term fleet, which mm-hmm. – I can say I'm thankful for that. Um, so it's not an all-new model. I mean, it's, uh, a, it's heavy a pretty refresh. heavy update. Yeah, new front fascia. Biggest news is that new turbocharged engine, which I think comes out of the CX-9, right? Is it the 2.5? I believe so. It's yeah. the same four-cylinder that you get in the 6 before. It just now has a turbo on it. Right, um, which honestly to me makes all the difference because mm-hmm. driving that thing on sure. the highway – I mean, it seems like in any gear, it's got it's beef. just ready to roll. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. You pointed out the exact same thing I wrote in our long term logbook: is you're on the highway and you're going 65, and you need to pass, and you just dip into the gas, and it seems like it could go all the way up to it, like 120 and not even struggle. It's weird because there's really no lag. You're not waiting for a downshift, and you're not waiting on turbo lag. It's just like there, which is so surprising to me. Another big part of the update was uh, thorough suspension, uh, if I can talk to that. <laughs> thorough suspension uh, redesign. Um, obviously, Mazda 6 has always been one of the greatest handlers mm-hmm. in the segment. They made a point of wanting to smooth out the ride. Some people thought it was too rough before. Uh, what are your thoughts on how they did with that? I could say that it's probably... I could see where it's a little bit softer, but we also have a Camry, and it's an XSE Camry. And I think the Mazda still feels a little bit more dialed in than the Camry. And remember, that's a sport-tuned Camry, too. And this is just like a a premium Mazda 6. Yeah, this one I noticed is a pretty cushy Mazda 6 because we've had lower-level ones in the past. It's expensive. It it feels very expensive, but it does feel a little – I don't want to – muted sounds negative. I don't mean it in a bad way, but it is less – it is it is slightly dulled from the other Mazda sixes that it maybe give you a little more of the road experience. So it's it fits the bill of being sort of a, a yeah. luxury Mazda six. But I'd I'd probably be happier with you know a manual trans base level one. Hmm. Well, you can still get that. Hmm. But, in which yeah, that's the other uh, thing is it's one of the few midsize cars you can still get a manual in, which is pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, and our, you have to get the upper trim levels to get the turbo, which is right. unfortunate. And uh, but we have there's two new up level trims and we have the highest of those 
So yeah, as Greg said, it's yeah. it's does, over thirty five thousand. Does that thing but, have a blow off valve or something? Well, in it? yeah, like, I, mean, I turbos a little do, but you every can time hear, you let off the gas, there's a little. Pss. You can hear that one a lot more than other turbos. I mean, it seems like they probably went out of their way to make sure that you can hear it. I'm like, what is this? A WRX? Ones. Like <laughs> that seemed hey, man, a little. I'm all for it. Garrick, when we got it in, you were clamoring to write all the long-term reports on it. Yes. So tell us why you like the Mazda 6 so much. Um, I like it. I had it this weekend, and that's one of the cars where, where if I have it for the weekend, suddenly I don't do any chores. I just drive, and that's what I did. Um, I like the, the turbo engine. I like the transmission. Downshifting, you're not, you don't feel that. Um, I like the suspension. What I like is, you know, they're marketing Zoom Zoom and Driving Matters. I think that this is one of the cars where it lives up to the marketing uh, slogan. So, I, I, and I was in it for many hours this weekend, and you know, I never got tired. It was it was interesting to drive. I was playing around with the adaptive cruise control and the other things, but I just like driving it. Um, it's comfortable. Um, the only downside that I that I have on it is headroom, and ours has the electric moonroof. So you lose an inch on that. I, I looked that up. But you're going to lose that on, on any car. Right. Um, I think over time, the longer I was in it, it was not as much, much of an issue. Um, but that was the only thing that, that stood. I like that the interior, and we've seen this on, on other Mazdas, where the technology is kind of in the background of the artistry. I mm. like the lines. I like the layout of the dash. It has all that other stuff. But it's not right in your face like, like some other cars, and, and, and I like that. So it, it was a lot of fun to drive, um, and I'm glad we have it for a year to truly get a chance to know it. Well said. Yeah, so spoken I, like a true writer right there. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> well, you, you know, we both brought up the Camry. Um, so Camry and Accord are obviously the two-headed monster in this segment. No one else really even gets close to them mm-hmm. uh, sales-wise. Uh, do we think the Mazda 6 will get closer with this update? And what do you tell someone that's looking at a Camry Accord and say, hey, this is why you should go check out Mazda 6? I don't see Mazda getting gaining much ground on them. Sure, they might sell a few more for this one, but I can't say that this is the Mazda 6 that nah. gets closer to a Camry it's a, it's or a an Accord. It's a shrinking, or at least a sta- it's a plateaued segment in terms for, of for all the reasons that we like it is probably all the reasons that the average person doesn't like it it's a little bit more expensive mm-hmm. they don't need a turbocharged engine they don't need it to ride as stiff as it does yeah. mm-hmm. so yeah, i just don't see it catching but up much I, I do want to say thank goodness to mazda if you're out there thank you for doing this and not just taking the easy way out saying we're just going to only build crossovers like you know mm-hmm. some of the True. other brands out there I, mean, yeah. I as long as the six is around i'll tell and people to buy it i still think it's i mean style wise too I think it's the best looking in that segment. I agree. It's good. I agree. But I think price for normal people, price is, is going to matter. Yeah. Well, speaking of crossovers, Joe. Yes. Uh, there's a new one out from Nissan called the Kicks, which Garrick has recently driven. Why don't yes. you uh, tell us all about it? Right. So uh, Nissan Kicks, it is – Nissan is still making the Juke, just not here in the U.S. So this um, – it doesn't replace it, but it, in, in this market – it will replace it. On paper, it's um, 125 horsepower. It's a 1.6 liter I4, 125 horsepower, and a CVT. And on paper, going in, that doesn't really sound very interesting. However, once you get in it and once you drive it, it's it's a different um, experience. And one of the things that they pointed out is that when they were making this car, they paid attention to the weight-to-horsepower ratio. 
So um, the kicks, is, it's less than 2,700 pounds, which I looked at the, the other competitors. It is the next highest one is the Mazda CX-3. It's 130 pounds lighter than that and 200 pounds lighter than the Hyundai Kona. Now, most of the other competitors are between 140 and 150 horsepower. But given its size and its weight, um, that engine, it, 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 driving it, you know, it was engaging. It really was. It wasn't, like I said, you have to get it and drive it to get an entirely different experience. Um, I think that um, it's... It um, has Nissan's, Nissan's Global V platform, which it shares with the VersaNote and sedan, so it is small. However, it has plenty of legroom, which is a biggie for me, uh, plenty of headroom in the front and the back. Cargo room, with the second seat up, has the most of seven competitors and second most with the second seat down. So, um, And, of course, the design is, is much more mainstream, so I think that yeah. that's going to a- appeal to, to more people. Um, but what I really think... They, they've done really two really good things here. First of all, automatic emergency braking is standard on all of them. Um, and then the price, it starts at $17,990. So for $18,000, you're getting that feature. Um, a lot of the other competitors are starting above that $20,000 mark. And if you're looking for a car, your first car or a commuter car or something compact, with car companies moving away from cars and into crossovers, I think you're going to have fewer and fewer options below that $20,000 mark. Um, so I think they've been very smart at, at, at the price point. Right, that'll and, get a person into the dealer, and then they might get they might walk out with something that's a $21,000 something, right. but it'll at least get them in to look at it. Right, exactly. But in theory, I mean, for you, around 20 you can get a, a new uh, small crossover. So... Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I have. I, I, I enjoy driving. Our drive was a combination of roads and highway. Um, there wasn't a point where I was. I felt like I was waiting for it to to get going. So, and much roomier than the Juke, I believe you said, because that's yeah. Uh, that was yes. my biggest complaint. The Juke was actually early on adopter to the whole right, super was, cro- uh, super small right. crossovers, right? And uh, but it was just far and away to me anyway. Uh, not a practical vehicle in any way. The Juke uh, seemed more style over substance. Style, they made space sacrifices yeah, yeah. to make it look cool. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they're going to more, as you said, mainstream. Right. With the right. Exactly. And it, and it's it's a hot it's a hot segment. You know, you have Kona's new. Um, Echo Sports new. Echo Sport is new for us. You have HRV, CHR, the tracks, CX3. So um, it's an interesting segment. It really is. What do you think, Greg? I haven't heard anything. Um, I'm taking it all in over here. (laughs) I actually have uh, sat back and read quite a few reviews on it. I didn't personally get to drive it. But um, I've heard more than a few people say the same thing you did, Garrick. It's a a whole context thing of people see a 1.6 liter with 125 horsepower, and they immediately think, well, it's slow. But it's not because you put that in the context of a 2,700-pound car. That's nothing today. Right. I mean, that's that's so light where you put a couple of groceries in the back and you can actually feel, feel the, the weight, weight difference. difference. So, yeah, I mean, I, everything I've heard that this is – it has the pep. Don't let the 125 horsepower fool you. Right. I think they're making a great decision by toning back on the juke styling it is more mainstream, and the fact that you can get emergency or auto emergency braking for a car that's probably going to stay a lot in the city, I mean, that's right. huge. It's sure. huge for under 20 grand. Right. All right. Yeah. 
Speaking of small crossovers, how about some compact luxury ones? Uh, we recently did a comparison with our friends at cars.com. Garrick, you were also on that event. I was. Because we do like to keep you out of the office as much as possible. Mm-hmm. He's I, our I, world uh, traveler. I like to travel, so uh, it's a right. win-win. So why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about that? Sure. So the segment is a Luxury Compact SUV Challenge. Um, it was seven vehicles, uh, Volvo XC60, Audi Q4. Five Infiniti QX50, Cadillac XT5, Alfa Romeo Stelvio, BMW X3, and Lexus NX300 F Sport. The price target was fifty thousand, plus or minus three. Um, as you know, they have four judges. They they have go in thirteen different categories. So it's not just handling, powertrain, and ride quality. They go into things like the material qualities, um, tech interface, tech interface, yeah. comfort in the front seats, the back seats, visibility. So it's a, it's a whole range of things that they look at. You have like a whole spreadsheet you have to fill right, out. Right, right, exactly. There's a lot of a lot of boxes you have to check. What's interesting on this event was there was a track component. So we were doing zero to sixty times on all of them and uh, the braking distances. So of the seven. Um, Number one was the Volvo XC60, and, and basically what, what the verdict is was, you know, the, the driving experience was, was fine, but it, it had the, the technology and the practicality and, and the quality as well as the safety features that some of the other ones did not, and, and that's really, really what pushed it over the top. Um, at the bottom of the list, number seven, so anyway, the, the top four were, was the Volvo, Audi Q5 was two, Infiniti QX50 was three, and the Cadillac XT5 was four. Um, Alpha was five, BMW was six, and at seven was the Lexus NX 300F Sport. Um, one of the, because like I mentioned, there was a track component. So that car had the slowest zero to 60 and also had the longest braking distance. Even though it was the F Sport. Correct. Huh. Right. F Sport's just a trim package. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, the safe, the standard, they like the safe, safe, the standard safety features, um, but size-wise, uh, the back seat was kind of cramped, and cargo's areas were cramped. So again, you know, taking all those factors in, that's where that ended up there. And then the rest were at various stages in, in between. I, I think what's interesting about this, because you can look at the list and not agree with it, and say, "Oh, this one should be two, and this one should be three, But it's a comparison, so they have they have to rank them. Um, I think that the takeaway in this, and really in any, any of these comparisons, is that, but particularly in this one, that a luxury compact SUV, it's not a cookie cutter, and not everyone's doing the same thing. You have a range, and it seems like the range here was between sport and luxury, and every one of these found a place along that range. So wherever you are as a customer, you could probably find one that's, that, that's going to match what's, what's important to you. Oh, well said. The only maybe surprise, I don't know. I maybe don't look at the XC60 as compact. I look at that more as, as a midsize. Right. Um, but I don't know the price wise. It's right. It falls right in line. Correct. Right. So I guess your buyers are getting more for less. So I guess it uh, makes sense that, that it's in there. Mm-hmm. I struggled with that too. Yeah, um, yeah that's tricky because that, maybe the XC40 is a little bit too small and the XC60 is a little yeah. bit too big. Right. And that's the thing about these genres or you know classes of crossovers is there's a lot of it's not clearly defined there's a lot of overlap and segment splitters that are too Mm -hmm. big to be one thing and too small to be the other thing 
Correct. Uh, right. Which is a good strategy because then you can compare yourself to whoever you're most favorable against, which I've seen right. you a see, lot of people, they claim to be compact, but then they make comparisons to midsize right. you know, whenever it works out in their favor. The, sure. the salesman at the, the dealership says, well, it gets better mileage than the bigger car and it gets you know more room than the smaller mm-hmm. car. And so they always have right. somebody to one-up when they're marketing the product. You know? Right. But you, oh, oh, I was going to say, did you – feel the Volvo was the best? Did you agree with that? Or sometimes we, we, you know, we're in agreement with them and sometimes we're not. How, sure. how did you feel? Right. There were some that were lower on the list that I probably would, would move higher. So two, and, and I've had reactions from people, uh, Stelvio and the BMW. So Stelvio came in fifth and the BMW came in sixth. Um, the Stelvio did the best on the track. It had the fastest zero to 60 time. Um, the, the negatives for that, and so it was really as far as a driver's car, someone that would that really ranked the highest. But it had a lot of um, other features that that they weren't crazy about, like the interior material quality didn't necessarily compare to some of the other ones. Not that it was bad, just didn't compare to some of the other ones. Comfort, cargo space, and again multimedia. So um, that that would kind of account for that. The BMW. Um, you know, they, they agreed that, you know, robust powertrain, good handling, good ride, as, as we know. But at this price point, um, it lacked some of the safety features, and it had a small multi-screen. Mm-hmm. Now, you can get those as options. But, again, you know, we're staying – trying to do apples to apples. You got to do it – yeah. So it at there. this price point, that's where it lost lost points. Mm-hmm. I'd see that's probably – the BMW probably the one we get the most blowback from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any comments, Greg, before we that's, move on? That's exactly what I was going to say. I was shocked that the X3 finished so low because I remember we liked it. I liked mm-hmm. it a lot. But when you brought up the $50,000 price point, that makes a lot more sense because I know BMW can get kind of stingy with some of their features mm-hmm. at the lower end. Yeah, yeah, and it's true. Generally, not it's not 100%, but generally our test cars are the top trim level right. and a lot of options. And, you know, I've had that happen where I get in a car and it's like, wow, this thing's great. And then I'll get in one a year later that someone buys and they bought, the, like, the base model. Mm-hmm. Or, like, wow, that's a totally different <laughs> Where's vehicle. Where's the 10-inch yeah, screen? Yeah. And, right. Yeah. So. right. And, of course, the video is already on YouTube, so all our viewers out there can watch the comparison and see mm-hmm. it for themselves. Right. Good point, Joseph. Appreciate that. A little cross-promotion there. Uh, so let's move on to our lightning round. Each panel will get uh, panelists will get thirty seconds to weigh in on this trending topic. Uh, here we go. A recent motor news segment talked about a company called Reviver Auto, which makes digital license plates. The plates can track the vehicle, display messages, and issue alerts from law enforcement. However, the plates aren't cheap: six hundred ninety-nine dollars for the unit. And $7.75 monthly fee on top of that. Sacramento, California is currently testing them. Uh, what do we think of this new technology? Uh, what do we mean by South Sacramento is currently testing them? Like, I guess they're the doing it for a, their city fleet. Oh, uh, okay. They're testing Oh, uh, I get you. Uh, all right, who wants to go first on this wonderful topic? I'll, I'll break the ice right, on Joe. it then, I guess. Uh, I think it's a cool idea, despite like the government is tracking me, tinfoil hat kind of thing. They which, already are. I mean, anyway. yeah. They, if you have, I was gonna say, if you have a cell phone, they're already tracking you. But I, it's just the cost thing, man. I mean, I, what you go to register your car and you get your car inspected, and they say, oh yeah, by the way, that'll be you know seven hundred bucks plus seven bucks a month. 
that's, that that's gets a, me. Is the it's a real downer, man. I mean, I, I hope those license plates last a long time. That's that's my piece. Garrick? I'm good with the metal plate I have on my car and the little sticker I have to point it at every other year. Short well and sweet. Greg? <laughs> I can see the merit. Uh, I don't think it's going to catch on quickly. I think we have some other mountains to climb first. Uh, but I do like the idea that <clears throat> if, uh, like, Amber Alert were to go out, I think that's what it would do. It would flash, like, the mm-hmm. um, the license tag. Or even if the person who if the made car... the abduction was driving the car, it would just say, I am the abductor. Arrest me, please. <laughs> yeah, please. It would just flash, so that, arrest this yeah. car. So, obviously, you know, that would be cool. But, you know, somebody's going to hack into it and... There's going to be quite a few arguments ahead about it. All right, so uh, moving on to our. Well, don't what you have something to say about oh, it? Oh, I never have anything to say. Uh, Dude, he's still got I a mean, flip phone, man. Where we're going to make that joke again? Uh, as long as he know. has a flip phone, I it will. It seems to me there's better ways to do it, you know, than, uh, as Greg said, we already get the Amber Alerts on our phones and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not sure we need to. Put all this money into now, uh, what new if it was place? built in from the factory? Like every car from the factory had a, a <clears throat> built in screen instead of a plate. Well, that's fine, uh, just don't make me pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Then we're just adding weight and technology you know, that you will cars. pay for. Yeah, yeah. You know, someone will have to pay for. Um, but they've already got most cars have a screen in the dash now. You know, you could certainly True. Uh, access that already. All right. Can we move on now, Joe? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> because Steve from Portland is anxiously waiting an answer to this All question. All right, let's help poor Steve. Sorry to make you wait, Steve. Uh, Steve has been watching Motor Week on Oregon Public Broadcasting for decades. That's saying something. Uh, my wife and I originally planned to purchase a Honda Clarity plug-in hybrid to replace her old Accord, but neither of us are enamored with the Clarity styling. Uh, are there any other PHEVs? with a pure electric range close to the Clarity's 40 to 50 miles. Uh, so he doesn't like the Clarity. I can certainly yeah. understand that. <laughs> yeah. I know where he's oh, coming no, I from. I certainly agree. Um, there's a ton of plugins right now. Uh, any of them out there that uh, he should look at? There's a lot Volt. of the 20 to 30 mile range, but Volt is the only one I can think of that has that cracks the 40 mile barrier. Yeah. Is there you anything got else? Prius Prime, which I don't think quite gets That's up. That's like that 26 high. or yeah. something. Um, no, I mean, honestly, yeah. I mean, Nero at- plug-in is 26. The Outlander plug-in is 22. C Max, which nobody buys, is like twenty. That yeah, fusion energy most, we have in right now that I really that I really like. Yeah, I, that, that I only nice got plug-in. I only got nineteen miles out of that. So if he's willing to live with a shorter range, there's way more selection. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's a good thirty point. low thirty seems to be about the top, other than the volt that I can think of offhand. I think the big thing we have we have a studio audience with a that's going to correct us. They for, do have a plug-in version of the Ionic. I was going to say, for those who those didn't hear Ashley's off mic, she said the Hyundai Ionic Blue that we have in now is not a plug-in, but it does get 50-plus MPG. Mm. And they are coming out with a plug-in, which will sure. use the same platform as the Nero. Yeah. It gets but 50 MPGs, but not 50 miles on electric. No, 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 no. 50 MPGs, just, right. Yeah. right. But I will say, though, I really like the Ionic. Yeah. I know some people were complaining that it was Spartan, but I like driving it more than I like driving a Prius. Yeah. 
I like driving it more than I like driving the Nero. Then, yeah, so mm. for sure. Because um, it's sure. the same platform. Right. Yeah. It just, it's just it's seems more just nimble. Smaller and probably lighter. because it's lighter. Mm. And um, not pretending to be an SUV. Right. But I, you know, and I was surprised that I would like it driving yeah. it as, as much as, as I do. But yeah, I, it's, it's very nimble and for running around town. It's fun. Steve should seriously think about how much electric range he and his wife needs because, yeah. mm-hmm. like you said, there is a lot more selection. In right, the if, 20 you, to 30 if you're willing mile to range. go twenty to thirty miles, and and you get one off lease, you can get one, a really good deal on one. Like a used Fusion Energy is pretty cheap. I was and I'm not sure day. how much better the Volt looks than the Clarity, although it maybe looks a little more mainstream. Oh yeah, I would say yeah. I would say so. The second gen Volt, the new one, the current one. Yeah. Yes. And I think, uh, I know in our area, I don't know about Oregon, I imagine they're pretty big sellers in Oregon. In our area, you can get a pretty good deal on Volts because well, they're not selling. You would lose some space in the Volt, too. I think it's also a much smaller car, isn't it, than the Clarity? Clarity's, I don't know. That's the problem. Clarity's the closer Clarity to is, an Accord in size. Right, that's the problem yeah. is the Clarity is closer. It's a little bit more upmarket. But if he wants to stay in Honda territory, the Insight is coming out. I mean, I know that's also yeah. not a plug-in, but... Maybe he'd like the inside styling better. Maybe not. I don't know, I don't know about that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, uh, all right. Anyone have a rant and or a rave? Anybody? Anybody? Joe, I know you got I, something. I've got like a catalog of them Come stored. On, Fine. I'll let it loose. MPGE. The, this, uh-huh. the EPA Mileage system of a rave. Equivalent. That's right. what it is. Miles per gallon. It's so I, – yes, I understand what it is, but I think to the average computer com- – consumer it is so confusing because it's like this car this hybrid gets 112 mpge what does that mean does it mean i I, when i go shopping for a car i want to know if it's a plug-in hybrid i want to know the battery range and the miles per gallon after the battery is dead that's what's important to me and this mpge it's like well is it a hundred mile test loop well if it's a plug-in hybrid and 50 percent of that is battery power then it completely skews the test i just i think mpge is confusing i want to know What's the range of the battery, and they, what's the mileage once the battery's dead? They give you both of those. It's all on the label. I know, the but, MPG but they is advertise the MPG in commercials. You're, ta- you're taking a, issue with the actual usage of manufacturers putting out that number. Right, they over use it as a numbers. marketing ploy. They're like, yeah, you'll get well, up to 118 yeah. miles per gallon. Cars, yeah. Well, well, I just think it's a stupid number. Why did we have to base the range of a, you know, why do we have to base an electric motor's efficiency off of gasoline? It just seems archaic. It's, I don't well, know. Well, it's just something that everyone understands and can relate to. And if you go to the fueleconomy.gov site, it gives you the MPGE, and it gives you the MPG without the battery, and it gives you total electric range. It gives it all all to you on fueleconomy.gov. I think it's just I th- I think that's good, and that's what I would do if I was shopping. But I think I think just the MPGE system should be kind of put away. I don't like it. it I think it adds one more number that could confuse buyers. I don't see what's wrong with saying forty mile range, thirty five miles to the gallon. What is the layout on the sticker though? What's the is the big number MPGE where the uh, MPGE uh, combined MPGE and combined miles per gallon without electricity are equal in size, and then underneath it says gotcha. range, hmm. electric range. 
So I just think it adds one more thing to be confused about, and I don't think it was necessary. Joe doesn't like being confused. Yeah, quit changing stuff already. (laughs) Let's go back to carburetors. No, (laughs) no. Well, with that, we'll wrap up uh, podcast number 186. I want to thank uh, producer Joe, audio engineer Jim Bigwood, and, of course, uh, podcast creator Bob Mixter. Be sure to check us out on PBS and Velocity and YouTube uh, all over the Internet. And uh, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, WeatherTech, Hum by Verizon, RockAuto.com, and State Farm. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.